Good morning, Every Nation Durban. It's such an awesome pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, if you just woke up and you're still in your PJs, uh, well, we thank the Lord that we get to celebrate Him and worship Him in spirit and in truth and in comfort. And if you're dressed up and you've showered and you're ready and you've got your pen and your pad ready and your Bible's ready, well, we congratulate you. And we're all, when, we, when we all want to grow up, we want to be just like you. And uh, such an awesome pleasure coming to you, even if it's still virtual, but we have this opportunity to meet and gather anyways. Uh, it's a little bit different. I mean, like we even miss Nebo running around and punching people. Uh, <clears throat> and But look on the bright side, uh, Rob gets to be on time. Rob gets to be on time for church. If Rob is there by any chance, if Rob, you're uh, in this live stream, please give us a thumbs up, give us a wave. And the rest of us, can we also just, uh, you know, interact in the uh, comment section, greet somebody, send a shout out, give a wave. If you like JR or the president, keep dabbing. Still, this, It's still good, still, you know, still okay. I don't know. The kids can tell you if it's cool or not. Uh, thanks to the Sandermans, they've been doing such an awesome job over the past couple of weeks. I'm not sure how long it is, you know, since every day is being blurred up and mashed up into lockdown day. And uh, thank you guys, you've been doing such an incredible job. Thank you for this awesome word that you've been delivering to us from your kitchen and also your lounge. You guys are incredible and we'd like to honor you, you rock. Um, I just want to pick up on something that Wayne shared last week and I thought that was so powerful. What he did is that he showed us a picture of a bridge and, uh, and this bridge had scaffolding holding it up. So is that as an illustration of how church structure can actually be scaffolding that holds us up and whilst we were in the process meant to be building our own personal foundations, digging deep and going down and uh, forming solid roots and solid foundations. And when the scaffolding is removed, that we should be able to stand on our own two feet. And right now, my goodness, the scaffolding has been removed. So we have to rely on personal discipline. And uh, I just want to read a quote that he shared. And I thought it, well, he said something. So I'm going to quote him. And I thought it was powerful. He said, God can use a crisis to bring about spiritual renewal. You know, and I thought to myself, you know, fire can actually refine, but in the same time, fire can destroy. So in this season, as we go through these challenges, fire can refine our faith and, you know, we can be transformed and our faith can be transformed and we're able to step up to new levels of faith or actually fire can destroy if the substance that was there wasn't really strong enough in the first place. So we could actually be destroyed. You know, we could face a serious faith crisis during this pandemic. Uh, and uh, a lot of people have been saying this, and I don't know, like if you've heard, you know, life is not going to be the same. Education won't be the same. Business won't be the same. Like a lot of things won't be the same. Church won't be the same. And I'd like to agree with them. You know, this time in this pandemic, we can form habits that could cause us to grow tremendously in faith, that we can cause us to grow tremendously in our knowledge of God, in our knowledge of the word, or we could actually form habits that could be destructive and cause us to regress and to go into a shell. And I uh, just want uh, uh, to pick up on that. And as we go into today's word, our main scripture for today is going to be coming from Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. Uh, if you 
have your Bibles handy, please open it up so we can read together. If you've got an app, just alphabetical order apps should be right at the top. You can get it right there. Uh, so it reads like this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending attending the temple together and breaking bread in their house they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising god and having favor with all the people and the lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved let's just pray before we study the scripture heavenly father we thank you for your word lord jesus we praise you we bless you god that we get to come together and we get to study together lord jesus i pray that you uh be with every person that is listening that is watching this video lord jesus that you enable us lord god to be transformed from the inside out to the image of your son lord god let this word bring encouragement let it bring correction let it edify us lord jesus in your mighty name help us as we study amen uh, now, what's happening here is that um, just after Pentecost and the Holy Spirit had fallen upon the church, Peter starts preaching this awesome sermon and a lot of people are added to the church. So this account is a little bit of snippet of culturally what the church began to do in those times and how they begin to live and how, what are the things they've done, they did. Uh, what we can see here is some, it's not really necessar necessarily a blueprint for us in the modern church of how we can conduct church but we can draw out principles and we can draw our principles from there to how to conduct ourselves in a manner where God can use us so tremendously and we can grow in faith and also in number as believers in uh, verse 42 what we find there is what most scholars say are the essentials of church uh, let's just read that again it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teachings uh, teaching and the, the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers now what we find there are the four essentials of church life and uh, you know before lockdown started people went crazy making sure they have the essentials like toilet paper top of cream cigarettes and cocoa puffs well whatever they considered essential in that time so in the same spirit, we as the church in the season, we need to be making sure that we're investing in the essentials of our faith, making sure that we are rooted and we're grounded and we're growing in those essentials. And today I'm just going to look through some of them, but I want to really focus on one of them, and that is fellowship. So let's just go through these essentials. The first essential is prayer. Uh, well, that we're going to go through, it's prayer. And uh, in this church, we are very big on prayer. And we've, have, we ha we've been having an awesome time in our 5 a.m. prayer meeting. It's happening every day. If you're not a part of it, please join us. And I believe we're actually growing in this season in this essential of Christian life called prayer. So please join us. The WhatsApp number will be on the screen. You can text us and we can add you to the group. As the second one is the breaking of bread, uh, which, some pe uh, which often is referred to the, uh, the, the sacraments of worship. And... Um, uh, 
earlier on this uh, the year like in during the passover some of us well not me some people in the church we actually made their own bread and they we broke and they broke bread in different houses and at different times which is really beautiful that people can actually make their own unleavened bread some of us need to learn how to make leavened bread before we can graduate to unleavened bread and that's quite impressive uh, but anyways we are actually able to co-worship and um growing these sacraments in this time and you can actually invest time in learning more about the significance of communion and worship and praying together in this season um, and another uh sac and another another essential would be the apostles teaching which is the word reading of the word and uh a reading of the word a teaching of the word and when lockdown started uh, i would like to confess to you i became like a churchaholic because on a normal day like when we don't when we have services together some of us have like a five hour day where we attend church where they sit up and there's practice and all these things and the actual service and then there's after church so it ends up being roughly four five four hours plus or some sometimes and uh when lockdown started church was reduced to like i don't know two hours or so so i had all this free time and i was just jumping from service to service started with every nation rose bank went on to every nation in one city every nation somebody said where went on to Bethel went to all these other places and uh, the thing that we can be so grateful for in the season is that there's such an abundance of word if you open up your social media your YouTube your Facebook live your Instagram live you're gonna find so many people sharing daily devotionals encouragements prayer meetings you know it's all happening and uh, for the for the social media influencers out there you guys better be careful and start praying because we're coming for your jobs soon uh, you'll see pastor wayne getting sponsors from i don't know you whatever his favorite company is <laughs> now the final essential that i want to share with you it is the essential of fellowship uh, it says they devoted themselves to these essentials and you know devoting yourself is like what happened on the first of may we all devoted ourselves to exercise. We all devoted ourselves to running and making sure that we're fit. So that's what they did is making sure that they uh, get that essential of fellowship. And uh, the word fellowship is translate is originally translated from the word kononia in the Greek, which means to joint participate, to share in. Uh, when they when it when they fellowshiped, it means they devote themselves to partake and to share in in each other's lives to live lives lives that are interlinked as community and they were going from house to house back then they didn't have a building they were coming together from house to house in our modern times um it's a shame that we've reduced the word fellowship to just a gathering or a meeting in a particular place where we say this is where we fellowship but in actual fact it's not about where we fellowship it's about who, who do we fellowship with? Who are we partaking in life with? Who are we sharing in life with? That is ultimately the question. Uh, I just want to read an extract from uh, a book by George Panicum. It's called uh, Cononia in the New Testament, a, a dynamic exposition of Christian life. It reads like this. Um, New Testament authors expressed the essence of Christian Christianity in one word, it's the Greek word kononia, usually translated as fellowship. Saint Paul reduced the whole Christian vocation to a kononia when he when he writes, God is faithful by whom ye were called into the fellowship kononia of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Now, what's happening here is quite fascinating is that Paul uses the same word kononia as what Luke used in Acts 2, that the relationship and the fellowship that we have with the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is the same relationship and the fellowship that we're meant to have with each other. It's quite mind-blowing in our modern times to actually think about that, that your fe- uh, my personal fellowship with Christ is the same as my fellowship with my fellow uh, churchmates because in our, f- in our modern world, we've actually sort of like comp- com- personalized church where it is just all about me and Jesus. Other people, uh, yeah, not really necessarily, but the most important thing is me and Jesus. But what Paul and the, and the writers of the New Testament, they equate that thing to the same thing. St. John even said, um, uh, you cannot love God and hate your brother because you cannot see God. So which means that we, if the same way we are devoted to God, we must be devoted to each other. And we can't say we're devoted to God by not devoted to each other. So... And I'm going to, I want us to go deeper into this a thing called fellowship. And there are certain things that make fellowship hard in our modern world. And that's beside the lockdown. You know, it's obvious that during the lockdown, we can't really meet face to face. But uh, there are certain things that are making it hard for us to fellowship in our time as Christians. One of the things that are making this difficult is the fact that we living, we are living in such a relativistic society. That's such a tongue twister, relativistic, um, that we're living in a relativistic society. What does that mean? Is that more, more and more these days that people don't want to disagree. We don't want to disagree with anybody, you know, because we don't want other people to disagree with us. What is true to me may not be necessarily true to the next person. So if they are living their truth and they're being true to who, them, to, to who they are and I'm living my truth, that is good for me, good for them. And we can't really argue or we can't really say anything about each other's world as long as we are living our best life in our little corners and we can cheer each other on and say you go live your best life i go live my best life regardless even in the household of faith we do the same thing where we don't want to you know address things in people's lives even though they're blatantly against scripture but we tiptoe around each other because we know it is true to them it is true to their bible to their understanding of the word of god and um if people don't disagree with, uh, don't agree with you, we just cut them off. If you don't agree with me, well, I'm gonna cut you off because you don't understand me. You don't understand my truth. Uh, I've been seeing quite a lot of memes lately with people saying and putting up pictures of saying, "This is me walking away from haters. This is me walking away from negative people," and all of that. People just walking away and doing all sorts of funny things. That's really funny, but it shows such a deep, um, you know problem within our thinking and as a, as a society. Second thing is that we are we have a very consumeristic culture. Within the church, we love content. We love podcasts. We love sermons. We love worship. We love consuming stuff that makes us feel good and which is which is awesome anyways it's awesome to worship it's awesome to encounter god it's awesome to hear sermons to edify us but we're very light on connection we're very light on connecting with one another we're very light on connecting with non-believers we're very light on connecting as in the spiritual households that we don't even want to reach out we don't even want to connect with each other and uh, we just becomes very shallow very distant uh, at the bottom of all of this, I think, is what I would, the, the most biggest problems that we have is the people problem. 
Now, uh, a couple of days ago, I heard a song by Jonathan Mc, uh, McReynolds and I thought it was interesting. I'm not going to sing it to you. I just want to spare you the earache and the bleeding. So I'll just read it and uh, you can thank me later. So he says, uh, people, people, when you said you could heal me from many things, did you mean people? People, people, deliver me from people. Uh, can't we all relate to this in some level or the other that we feel like we need to be delivered from some people? You know, like you feel like some people, yeah, they just, you know, make your blood a little bit warmer. You know, it increases, it increases your temperature. And that's the same. Uh, it's generally what we feel most of the time. We start like we, we all get along with people. Uh, my grandmother or my mother no, normally says, no, everybody won't love you. You're not money. And I thought that's quite funny. But what happens is that every time we are misunderstood, every time we uh, get offended, every time we are hurt, every time we're disappointed, we draw further and further away from connection and we retreat because we're hurt. Now, you know, when we get hurt, we just pull back and we just, you know, gradually to a point where we just come to a place where we like, this is me. And in this time where we can't really meet face to face, we can actually just put up a facade and put up this avatar on social media of a life that we want to portray and or a personality that we want people to see without sharing in our innermost being who we are and who our lives are and how we are meant to live. And uh, it was an interesting moment about uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I just saw one of our leaders, I'm not going to say who, was telling off their friends on their WhatsApp story for not responding to their to, to their question, and I thought that was quite funny because in quite all in quite honesty, we need people. We need people to respond to their to, to our questions. We need people to interact with us, and uh, if we are having friends and they don't respond, it, it hurts. Um, and uh, that's the, actually the general premise of social media. It's supposed that it's supposed to be us connecting regardless of time and distance that we can actually connect. But nowadays it's quite a shame that it's all it's full of is just attention seeking and jokes, just escapism, which is not, uh, well, jokes are not, uh, jokes are okay. Escapism, uh, but attention seeking, no, that's totally wrong. And it's quite interesting that God put this word in my heart because in quite honesty, if you can ask people that know me, that are used to me, some of my best friends are me, myself and I. And uh, what I've learned in my journey in Christ is that we need people. We can't shut people off and say, I don't need you. In all honesty, we do need people. We need community and we need each other. Uh, let's see what Jesus has to say about this topic. If we look at Matthew 5 verses uh, 43 to 48, uh, this is Jesus speaking. He says, you have heard that it was said you should love your enemy and hate your neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not evil, even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brother, how more are you? what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, what we find here is one of those very hard 
messages and words from Jesus that you have to kind of take with a pinch of salt and you need to diagnose and see what is he really trying to say to us. Now, this word there, he says, love your enemies. Uh, the word enemy can be translated to, you know, in the Greek, can be translated to this following, uh, you know, haters, negative people, bad neighbors, evil bosses, stuck-up Christians, um, rogue connect group members, people who ghost you, people who don't like your pictures, people who don't like your videos, and all sorts. You know how Greek is, right? One word can be just full of different meanings and packed up into all of that. <laughs> but you get my drift, is that Jesus is calling us to a different paradigm. It is so in our nature not to love our enemies to, or not to love people who seem to disagree with us. But God is calling us to a different nature that we must be, we must leave our normal nature and be conformed to his image because it is totally in God's nature to love his enemies. Jesus loved his enemies. Even when he was at the, on the cross, the people were spitting and swearing at him. He didn't, he didn't, you know, he didn't snap his fingers like Thanos and make them disappear. He loved them to the point of death. He loved us to the point of death and God is calling us to that. And, um, yeah, that's what God is calling us to. It's so against our nature, though. Uh, just one of the funny things uh, that people like to say and quote from the Old Testament out of context and out of time that, you know, the law of Moses says an eye for an eye is on so And some people just love that. And for, don't f forget to mention this piece of scripture, uh, which is quite awesome, <laughs> that we are so much in need of God's grace because it's not in our nature. We are so much in need of his grace. Uh, in Luke 5, where Jesus tells his disciples that they need to forgive 70 times, seven times whenever they offended in a single day, uh, they say something so funny. They were like, uh -uh, increase our faith. Because to be honest, it's quite difficult to do this in our own natural strength. We need God's grace and we need his favor upon us because we can't do it in our own person, personal strength because it's not in, in our nature. We need him to help us. We need his transforming love and his transforming power. So if we are to get this essential of fellowship right, we need to love a whole lot more. We need to increase our levels of love, increase our levels of forgiveness, and we can only, go that, we can only get that in Christ. I just want to quickly share with you what I believe to be the key benefits of living in community and living in true fellowship. And one of those, and the first one being, it keeps us in line. If we read 1 Peter 2 verses 5 to 6, it's uh, Peter writes, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whosoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So what Peter is trying to say is that Jesus is our cornerstone. You know, like in old in olden times, uh, when they built buildings, they would lay a cornerstone that is the biggest and the most geometrically correct stone in the corner, and then the other stones would line up to that stone in accordance. And Peter is saying, as a church, as people, we are being built up and Jesus is our cornerstone. He is our mark. So when we build, we need to align with him and we need to be in true alignment with him and with each other. And when you build a building, the stones or the, build, or the bricks have to interlock. They have to be meshed together or otherwise 
when the wind comes it will huff and puff and will blow your house down and we don't want that so as living stones we need to be integrated connected and bound to each other in aligning up to the to the cornerstone and uh, imagine if the house or you know the building that you're finding yourself uh, that you are in today had bricks that or that were very much aware and self-conscious and they were able to walk around and move and they were like you know what i don't like being connected in this brick or in this building i prefer being connected to the foundations and the foundations only i want to be attached to the cornerstone and nothing else and they detach and what do you get from that you get you just get a whole lot of bricks that are attached to the corners to the foundations you get a big ball of brick god does not want a big ball of brick and you can't do any much with a big ball of brick it's useless it can't offer spiritual sacrifices so when we as living stones are connected and we're lining up we find we actually get to be put in the right position in a place where we can become of most impact in the kingdom of god where we we can become most meaningful and we actually build up this house which is the church and if we're not connected we can't build the church and if we are not connected we cannot really fully reach our destiny in christ we can really fully reach our purpose for what god has created us for so we need to be connected and we need to be aligned with the cornerstone and with the household of faith and the second benefit of living in fellowship is support safety and care well that is a three benefits but you can wrap it up in one uh, in first samuel chapter 22 it i'm not going to read it for the sake of time there's an account there of david and uh david had had at his lowest point in his life runs away from saul and he goes into the cave of adalam and when he's in that cave of adalam it says that his family his brothers and everyone <clears throat> of his family joined him in that cave and also in uh, verse 2 it says everyone who everyone who was in distress everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter of soul gathered with him there so people just joined in and there was like 400 people plus 400 plus people there and you know if you look at this this looks like a big pity party depressed broke uh bitter of soul hustled and hounded but what I'm what's really amazing that happened there is that David emerges out of there as their leader and actually that the people that were gathered to him in that place in the place of their brokenness are actually transformed and they become his mighty men and he conquers with them and that is such a beautiful picture of spiritual family of living a life that's connected and a life in fellowship is that we don't get to come together and escape from the world but we get to come together and we get to be empowered god helps us through his amazing power that we are able to face our problems not get away from our problems that we are being equipped that we are able to strengthen each other to support each other to go out there and make a difference in the world to go out there and face those giants and conquer them we all need those mighty men and women around us to carry us in difficult times to support us and to walk the journey with us and to be honest with us and be transparent when we are facing difficult times now the last essential i want to share with you uh, not essential the last benefit of fellowship that i want to share with you is discipleship now in acts 9 we find uh, the account of paul being converted from uh, as 
religious Jewish zealot to a Christian missionary evangelist. And uh, what happens there is that, long story short, Paul is, encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, is blinded, and Jesus tells him to go to Ananias' house, and Ananias would pray for him, and he gets healed, and he radically begins to preach in Damascus, and he offends his old friends, the Jews, and he, gets to, he actually runs off to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, we pick it up in uh, verse 26, when Paul gets to Jerusalem. Uh, it reads like this, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were they were all afraid of him for he did not they did not believe that he was a disciple but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and now at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus now what we see here is uh, I just want to take this in two different perspectives there's Paul's perspective and there's also the church's perspective now, if we look at it from Paul's perspective, Paul had an awesome conversion, had an awesome encounter with Jesus. He had the audible voice, so a blinding light. It's painful, but it's powerful. You know, some of us wish we had those testimonies to share of our conversion. But anyways, we still have wonderful experiences with Christ and no one can take, take them away from us. So Paul had this awesome conversion and he, being a learned man, and had an awesome encounter with Jesus. He could have run off and started his own ministry, um, you know, called it something like the church or the movement of revelation of the road of Damascus and Blinding Lights International, a uh, very long word, but uh, he didn't do that. He actually decided to go to, An to Ananias' house and submit himself to the teaching and submit himself to uh, discipleship. And he also, after that, when he went to Jerusalem, he submitted himself to the disciples. He wanted to be joined together with the disciples. And that is the power when we come together. Look at what Paul managed to do through relationship in his, in his time, in his world. Imagine what he was able to do when he was in relationship and was able to be discipled in that moment. And he submitted himself to this process of discipleship. Uh, another perspective that we could look at is from the perspective of the church. Now, Paul had murdered one of the church leaders, Stephen, a few chapters earlier. And I would believe that Stephen's family and friends were probably still part of the disciples. And here comes this guy who just murdered one of them, a prominent leader. In fact, Stephen was a very prominent leader in the church and Paul was there in, in his murder. If there was ever a time or a reason not to follow up on somebody, I think this is probably the greatest excuse. Forget internet connection or data costs. Like this person just murdered one of our own. If we don't follow up with him, I know even Jesus in heaven will understand. But what happens here is quite rem remarkable. And in fact, what Barnabas does is re remarkable. There's no real evidence that links if Barnabas had relationship with the church in Damascus. But what Barnabas does is very risky. He steps out of his own current community and he goes out to find Paul and he brings him in. And that's actually the nature of discipleship, that we step out of our cozy, comfortable places and we reach out and we increase our circle. 
that's how discipleship works is that you know we reach out to people because if we get together and we huddle we'll never grow we'll actually diminish instead of growing because we'll get sick of each other now if you're constantly growing and adding people in this time in this season that's very difficult to actually make disciples because there are so many excuses you know we can't meet each other face to face but i don't know if we have any better excuse than someone who had murdered one of our own yet they were able to overcome that because they were radically obedient to the word of god and they radically understood the need of coming together they didn't just invite him come to a meeting no they invited him into their lives into the household of faith and through that process paul's life was dramatically changed his um ministry blew it was awesome it was incredible because he submitted himself and he was welcomed in i would like to encourage us in the season let's submit ourselves if you're out there and you're not connected, submit yourself. Submit yourself to connection. And if you're out there and you're making disciples and you're trying to reach out, keep going. You never know who you're going to reach out to. You might reach out to the next Paul. You never know. You never know who, who you're going to encounter and how God is working in that person's life. And uh, in closing, I just want to share with you a little story. I've been uh, listening to a podcast from one of our Every Nation leaders about how the early church dealt with and led through, not the early, like in history, how the church uh, dealt and led through crisis and uh, pandemics. And one of the most fascinating things that you can actually see from history is that the church grew tremendously in times of crisis. And it's not because they had all the resources it's not because they had money, they had all the food, or had all the data bundles and the broadband speed that you could ever think of. What they had is that they had a heart to share in whatever they had. They broke down everything they had and they shared with each other. And they also shared what is most precious to all of us and that is our lives. They opened their lives and their homes to other people. And this time we probably can't open up our homes but we can definitely open up our lives. We can definitely see how we can share in each other and we can invest and fight to stay in fellowship. Uh, I would like to pray for you as we close off this uh, sermon. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that you minister to every single person who is listening. Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that you highlight the areas where we're coming short and we're falling short, whether it's through fear or whether it's through hurt or disappointment. Lord God, I pray that you bring healing. Lord Jesus, I pray that we may find security in you, that we may abide in you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that you help us to form solid relationships, Lord God, to form solid fellowship, Lord God, that we may not just be a gathering, but we may be a community of people who live together in connected life lives, Lord Jesus. I pray for your grace on us, Lord God. Shape our hearts, Lord God. Break down our walls, Lord God. Break down the things that hold us back from being transformed into your image. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll be with us this week. I pray for your protection and your blessing on everybody. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much for listening. Have an awesome Sunday. Enjoy your breakfast or your 